I've sometimes heard interpretations of today's gospel and gospels like this that are done in a light that is not entirely laudatory of Judaism. People kind of talk about Christ coming to clear away all that old legalism, all those silly rules. Who needs Sabbath keeping and temple sacrifice and dietary laws? Let's just get to the important stuff. And this point of view is specifically actually condemned in the New Testament. Instead, we see Jesus constantly keeping the Sabbath, constantly worshiping in the temple, and fulfilling the whole of the law. And when the question directly comes up, he says things like, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have come not to abolish, but to complete the law, to fulfill the law. Instead of dismissing the commandments of God, Christ actually strengthens them, intensifies them. He says things like, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable. Today's gospel doesn't deal with figuring out what kind of offering to make in the temple or how to bathe before entering worship. Instead, today's passage deals with a really, really essential part of the law. This is number four on the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We have this modern idea that the law code of the Old Testament is kind of a set of some pretty good ideas about maybe morality and productivity and maybe hygiene, and that an ancient group of people just got a little overly zealous in following them. In this line of thought, we might be tempted to interpret keeping the Sabbath as sort of like a productivity tip. Take a day off, and the next six will be way more productive. You'll actually get more done by taking the time off than if you had just worked straight through. In the first century, the philosopher Philo of Alexandria actually explained the Sabbath this way to a group of Greeks, and he was condemned by virtually all the rabbis. They all said, no, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That is crazy. The Sabbath is not made for the weak. The weak is made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a pause in the week. The Sabbath is the culmination of the week. The Sabbath is not a break from real life. It's the definition of real life. The Sabbath is, in fact, the whole point of what it is to be alive. So in the first chapter of Genesis, day by day, God creates and he declares good. He creates the light and he declares that it's good. He creates the birds of the air and declares that they are good. He creates humankind and declares that we are good. But then, on the seventh day, you get a brand new adjective. God calls the, seven day, the seventh day, kadosh, holy. And on the seventh day, there is something that was not created before, which is holiness. God imbues the creation with his own holiness, his own nature on the seventh day. This is the day on which the holiness of God began to pervade the whole creation. And so we are commanded to keep that day holy. The Sabbath, we're told in Deuteronomy, is not just a commemoration of the rest and the holiness of God, but also freedom from the Pharaoh in Egypt. It's the day of freedom, freedom to worship, freedom for rest and for delight. So it is one thing to try and maintain holiness and freedom in your thoughts all day. You might wake up and say a prayer 
and gracefully arise from bed and go into the kitchen and realize you're out of milk and you have to drink black coffee today and then you turn on the news and you see all kind of horrible stuff and your thoughts are filled with fury and horror at humanity. Good luck if you're just trying to do it mentally. It's not going to happen. This is the logic of the Old Testament law. Vague feelings, good intentions, they don't really get you very far. One sometimes hears Israel discussed as being a chosen people, and it's easy to misunderstand this phrase, because you can either be chosen as something or chosen to something. So you can be chosen as the teacher's pet. You can flunk all the tests, not show up for anything, throw spitballs in class, and the teacher still just thinks you're fantastic and you get all A's anyway. Or you can be chosen as the special ed teacher. No matter what your students do, no matter what kind of monumental challenges they face, you are chosen as the one whose job it is to serve them, to walk with them, to care for them through it all. Judaism never sees itself as chosen to. Judaism doesn't see itself as particularly special to God in that way, like a teacher's pet. Instead, Judaism sees itself as chosen as the one, the people that reveal the true God to the nations the witnesses to God's holiness, as lived out in the covenant, as bringing his holiness into every single aspect of life through following the commandments of God. And so instead of joining, enjoining people to feel vaguely holy for a day each week, to feel free-ish once in a while, the law commands us to keep a holy day, to keep a day of freedom, not to be busy, not to work, not to shop, not to engage in all the stuff that weighs us down, but to be free to delight in the holiness of God one day a week. So on the Sabbath, you worship the Lord. You have long, delightful meals with family and friends. You take naps. You wear your best clothes. You have an extra glass of wine with dinner, and you study the Word of God. The Sabbath is a day of rest and worship and delight. Six days a week, we struggle with time. We struggle with all that's passing away. And one day a week, we spend an eternity in Eden, delighting in the Lord and his goodness. In the words of one early medieval rabbinic commentary, God is said to have commanded us, sanctify the Sabbath with choice meals, with beautiful garments. Delight your soul with pleasure, and I will reward you for this very pleasure. And another 18th century rabbi declared that the Sabbath must, must be spent in charm, grace, peace, and great love. On the Sabbath, we are to rest in God, to delight in God, and to be transformed by the holiness of God. This is not a silly set of rules. This is a day each week to remember the point of our lives, to be fully human. And Christ has come not to dismiss this aspect of the law, but to intensify it, to crank it up to 11. In today's gospel, the Lord is not standing outside of the synagogue with a picket sign. Instead, this gospel begins, now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Jesus is up in the pulpit. He's actually the guest preacher of the day, and he's leading the congregation in their Sabbath worship. And this woman who is crippled by a malign spirit enters. 
And immediately Jesus calls her up to the front. And he says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And immediately she stands up and starts praising God. And then, at the announcements, the rector stands up. And he says, now we are, we are just so grateful to have this wonderful guest preacher. He was just, he's great, isn't he? But actually, our healing service is on Tuesdays at 11 at our West congregation, so please don't come forward for healing right now. Thank you very much. And Christ critiques him, not because he's keeping the Sabbath, but because he's totally not getting the Sabbath. This woman has come to worship the Lord, and in her worship, she has been touched by the hand of the Lord, and she has been freed by the Lord. Christ compares this freeing to freeing an animal to go drink water so that it doesn't die of thirst. He has freed this woman to drink from the waters of eternal life. This is the essence of holiness, the essence of freedom, the essence of standing before the Lord our God and delighting in his presence. If Christ has come not to dismiss the law, but to intensify it, then how is it that we Christians are supposed to keep the fourth commandment? How do we keep the Sabbath holy? From the earliest days of the church, Christians gathered together not on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, but on Sunday, Sunday is both the first day of the week on which God began the creation, but it's also, said the fathers of the church, the eighth day of the week. Sunday is the day of the new creation, the resurrection, and the Pentecost. It's the day on which God begins to transform our lives and transform the whole creation into the kingdom of God. For us, Sunday is a day of holiness when we come before the Lord in church to hear his word and receive the sacraments. It's a day of rest when we're free from busyness, free from work. It's a day to take delight in the creation of the Lord, a day for delightful meals, long conversations with friends and family, a day to wear your best clothes and have an extra glass of wine. Sunday is our Sabbath day in which we step out of time and into eternity to rest in God. As such, on the Sabbath, you might actually refrain from work, refrain from being busy, refrain from shopping, refrain from social media or mowing the lawn or whatever it else that feels oppressive and distracting. Sunday is both a day for eternity and also a day for preparation for eternity. The day each week when we prepare our hearts for the actual eighth day, the end of time, of which our lesson from Hebrews speaks, the day on which all that is temporary will be shaken, will dissolve, will be no more, and all that is eternal shall remain. As St. Augustine said in his City of God, each Sunday from morning until evening, we prepare for that final Sunday, the true Sunday, whose end will not be an evening, but the Lord's day, an eighth day, which is to last forever. There we shall see and be still. We shall see and we shall love. We shall love and we shall praise. Behold what will be in the end, without end. For what is our end but to reach that kingdom which has no end? Amen.